0: Teenage Sea Legs, episode one, in the beginning. This is a a background episode, Um, future episodes I want to sort of talk about um, themes, I don't want to get too chronological in um, this account of my um, life and upbringing on our our boat, Dragonfly 2, Um, but this is an episode that's helpful if you you want to get a sense of um, um, the background and and, um, why we did what we did. Um, I should be quick to point out this is not something I did. It was something that happened to me. I was only about 13 or 14 when my parents um, built a boat in the front garden of their uh, of the house we lived in in Victoria, in Australia. It was a catamaran. It was the second boat um, they'd built. Um, we'd already um, built and uh, sunk one of them in the uh, in the lake. Um, network in uh, in uh, Victoria, and in, in the floods um, uh, that happened in the um, late 70s, um, she lo- uh, lost her moorings and been wrecked and undeterred. My um my, my father set out to build um, another boat with an intent to build an ocean going one, and uh, my mother um, was uh, fully supportive. And I think um, for myself and my two sisters, um, one younger, one older, we were not parted of the discussion, but we were aware something was up as the the boat took shape in the the front garden of our house, and uh, you'd have to admit that in a sort of suburban town, the sight of uh, an ocean-going boat, um, taking shape and growing, as it were, in in the front garden is is perhaps a a little unusual, but uh, to us it felt surprisingly normal. Um, It it took a couple of years, I think, for my uh, father to build it because he was working as an offshore oilfield diver um, at the time so he was um, sort of I think a shift of two weeks on two weeks off and so he would work on the boat when he, he was back home. So the the boat itself was a, um, a catamaran. Um, the design, I think, was called a Spindrift Thirty Seven. It's so it's about forty feet long. I think it displaced about six tons. It was a sloop rig, which meant it had a single main mast and obviously carried a rigging for for headsails and that sort of thing. Um, the accommodation was split between the two holes and a central wing deck. So um, my, my bunk, for example, was in the, the stern of the, the, the port hull. Um, and it was a single bunk, so it was about just over two foot wide at my shoulders. And I think at my feet it narrowed down to about um, 10 inches. More or less, roughly, um, and ended in the tiller space, so I could see the steering gear um, above my head. In our initial configuration, was a diesel fuel tank um, oh, on that side, and that was my that was going to be my home for for, for the for, for the foreseeable future. Um, um, going forward of me was the um, uh, a double bunk cabin where my parents were. Um, go across to the um, starboard hole, My younger sister was in the equivalent stern. Um, Single bunk to me, and my older sister was in the equivalent double berth to my parents. In the middle was the, of the uh, was the wing deck where the main cabin was, about the size of a large SUV, I suppose. We had a, a single large table and a, a cooking stove and a fridge, and also the various instruments by which the um, the boat was um, navigated, and steered by, and all that sort of thing. Um, if you stepped out of the wing deck, you stepped into the cockpit where the steering position was. Um, from there you could climb out of the cockpit and go on to the uh, the decks um, going forward um, to where if you were changing headsaws there was a sort of safety net and a catwalk in between the two holes um, great place to sit when you're sailing provided the weather's calm um, anyway this uh, boat was um, completely um, built by hand by my, uh, by my father um, who was um, something of a craftsman and an engineer um, with Plenty of uh, willing, if um, untrained, support from uh, my mother and and the the rest of us in terms of doing things when we were were told to, and uh, and so gradually the boat took shape um, and it was um, lifted out of the the front garden on a crane, lowered onto a flatbed lorry, driven through the town we were in, and uh, lowered um, into a, the the river in the port of the the town, so that we could. Um, finish fitting it out, um, the mast couldn't be stepped until we'd left um, gone up river and under a bridge um, and ultimately accessing the the main open ocean um, through a, a series of lakes in Victoria um, you, you you travel through about three of them and then there's a an open cutting called Lakes Entrance Appley where you go straight out to the Bass Strait and so um, for us the, the the adventure started there um, so as I say there were, there were five of us, my, my father, my mother, my older sister, my younger sister and me and so we were all taken out of um, mainstream schooling um, and as I say in a subsequent episode I'll, I'll talk about how we were educated um, and, um, and and how various issues like that were solved I it was all quite successful I think personally I wasn't thriving in um what you might call normal schooling. Um, so I think the experience did me um, well because, um, well, uh, all of us went to university um, in the end. I'm, I, I went to university and I'm still there. I did a, a DPhil at Oxford and I'm now a um, university lecturer at the Open University um, in the UK in England. Um, so I very much hope that you'll get a sense from the um the subsequent episodes that um for all the trials and tribulations and problems we solved it was very much for me a positive experience um my parents were the real drivers for this my father was something of an, ad- an adventure he'd been in the royal navy and then come back and trained as a veterinary surgeon and subsequently left practice and um uh worked as a professional oilfield diver so he was very very experienced to the extent he was confident enough he could teach us how to sail as we went and that subsequently proved to be the case um, my mother had a, uh, was a, a, a teacher she um, was a teacher of French um, and um, so again we were sort of covered on the education basis and she was tremendously supportive my father in terms of what he was wanting to do I think she was the the fulcrum and the platform um and and he was the sort of um adventurous spirit and the 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 three of us sort of were swept along by it so I, I want to make great pains to point out um this is not something I did it was done to me um but done to me in a good way um I'm I think I can speak for my sisters, but I, I, I won't. We were all very willing and eager, if a little uncertain, as we, we set out. So you can imagine um, a family of five on a relatively small boat in a small space. Um, the next few years were going to be spent sailing from place to place, sometimes day by day sometimes long ocean passages um, and um, I'll talk about how you sort of adjust to um, time at sea in in a subsequent episode um, and how we sort of uh, rubbed along with each other um, how we um, encountered different situations storms um, including I'm afraid I'll probably end up with um, how I talk about a circumnavigation it didn't Actually, um, get completed, um, and a storm played a key role, um, which in itself was as a, a key, in, uh, um, a, a key experience for for all of us. Um, but we saw some amazing things. Um, particularly around the Pacific Islands that we, we travel with and around New Guinea and uh, the Indian Ocean and the, the North Australian coast. And uh, you, you you really start, for me as a teenager, it was an eye-opening experience. Can you imagine at the age of 13, 14, suddenly being taken out of a suburban rural town and put on a vehicle that is uh, gives you the power to travel um, quite considerable distances and see vastly different ways of living, vastly different ways of doing things and allows you to do things that I would never have dreamt I could uh, could do. Um, I wouldn't have thought that I would have stood on the island where John F. Kennedy and his crew um, swam to in the Solomons after their boat PT-109 was um, rammed and sunk by a Japanese destroyer. Um, I wouldn't have thought that we would have seen a uh, the remains of a, um, a Japanese Zero fighter um, in only 15 feet of water and you could still sit in the cockpit. I would never have imagined speaking to people who had barely a generation before practiced a form of cannibalism um, I wouldn't have thought how much I valued water and fresh food after uh, months away from the sorts of supermarkets and utilities that you take for granted. So I hope this um, podcast series will prove interesting and you'll get an understanding of what me and my family um, were like and, um, and uh, um, where we are today. Welcome to this episode of the uh, Teenage E Legs podcast. Um, This episode is um, inspired by some feedback I had from some listeners of um, the um, earlier episode I um, produced Um, wanting a little bit more background. So I thought the the Shakedown Cruise um, would be a good way of providing a little bit more, some snippets of um, sort of background and, and how we did what we did. So what is a shakedown cruise? It sounds pretty alarming but actually it isn't. It's typically and traditionally the the first trip of a a new ship or vessel um, with a new crew or indeed a a vessel that um, has taken on a new crew and the shakedown cruise is really designed to um, Work out what the niggles are in the boat, what needs fixing immediately, what you can manage with, and also um, for a lot, particularly for crews that are drawn from uh, many different walks of life, it's um, learning how to, um, to work together. Um, obviously, being a family, when you've all grown up together, the, the, the sort of shakedown um, aspect of crewing is perhaps um, less about um, getting to know each other, but uh, more about finding out what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, so we'd had um, Dragonfly launched in the port of sail, and um, really the, the Shakedown cruise was going to kick off pretty much as soon as we'd um, sailed through the lake system of uh, Gippsland and um, headed out into um, into the Bass Strait in the Tasman Sea in Australia. Now for us the, the Shakedown cruise was perhaps um, quite confident about it because um, Dragonfly wasn't our first boat. I um, I probably alluded in a uh, in a previous episode that um we'd ha- we'd had another a boat that had given us some um previous experience. Um she was a catamaran like Dragonfly also built by my father, an older design. Um all the accommodation in Tingira was um in the hulls. Um so she had an open wing deck unlike Dragonfly um and she was a catch rig. So she had two masts, a main mast and a mizzen mast. Um Dragonfly um was a sloop with a single mast. And um was mostly used for holidays in in the lake system I mean we were um, we were young as children and I think I was probably sort of um eight or nine something like that and so it was um, weekends away the odd week um we even spent a Christmas on her um but it it was again in e- easy conditions to sail in the lake system um yes, it can get quite um windy at times but it's it's a fairly straightforward water for um to navigate in particularly if you're um Parents with young children who aren't really contributing uh, much to the sailing of the ship, and certainly Tingira was a good um, a good experience for us. And she looked magnificent under full sail when she had um, both the um, uh, uh, both the masts fully sailed, and she had a set of sails that um, spread between the two masts as well. Um, indeed, once, um, and I think now looking back with hindsight, it was probably my parents testing the water. We were right down at the the entrance of the lake system into the Bass Strait, and my um, Father took us all out on, on Tingira, right out into the, in, into the ocean there, sailed around for a few hours and then came back. And I think it was very much a, um, a testing of the water, getting a feel for the air and all that sort of thing. Would we have taken to the sea in Tingira? Um, possibly not. Um, as I say, the accommodation was in the holes, it was quite cramped. Um, all three children were in one hole. Um, but we were small enough that didn't matter and my parents had the other hull but if we were going to do a a circumnavigation of the the globe in the words of a immortal movie we were going to need a bigger boat. So Tingira probably probably would have been sold had not tragedy struck. Um, There was some severe flooding in the the lake system in 1978 and uh, she was lost at her moorings when the the river burst her banks and the trees around um, were collapsed and washed down and one actually crushed her. Um, My parents being quite resilient overcame that um, setback I think and were quite undaunted and hence the the idea and the dream to to build Dragonfly and and set off a few years later um, was born. And so wind the clock on and there we are, um, same entrance um, out into the Bass Strait, different ship and a very eager crew poking their nose again out into the, um, the the wide ocean, or I should say sea, really. It's the Bass Strait empties into the um, the Tasman Sea there. And so our plans for this sort of shakedown cr- uh, cruise, I think, in, involved um, going around the um, Australian coast up towards Sydney, um, just doing what we call sort of day hopping, sailing each day and anchoring each night, and that would be a, a good early test. And then we would strike out from Sydney into the Pacific and use the first sort of um, transoceanic um, leg to see how she was performing at sea. So, um, as you, as I say, the shakedown looks at both the the crew and the uh, and the ship. And the one thing I personally discovered, literally as soon as we turned into the Bass Strait, was I got seasick. So sea legs and getting those sea legs um, became quite a an important thing for me. Um, so early on, I I certainly found when you were the boat was quite close to the coast, and you could see a fixed coastline with the waves breaking on it, and the boats bobbing up and down. It can be um, uh, quite motion sickness-inducing, so that was something I had to to get to grips with. But um, we were happy to discover that the boat performed um, almost as it, pretty much as expected, um, in terms of the sort of sailing day by day. Um, she was quite easy to handle. My father had built her. I think within a view in mind that he could sail it on his own, while we were all taking our time to get to grips with it. So, she had, for example, um, bearing in mind this is the early eighties, she had one of the earliest satellite navigation systems, um, sort of you know, a little computer box that was, um, in in the cabin there. And um, my father had built the, the sort of speed logs that measure the boat speed and various other um, instruments um, to be wired into the into the sat nav, so it could take a lot of instrument readings as well and it could try and the computer could do what they call dead reckoning when it wasn't getting a satellite navigation fix. and it was discovering how this was all a relatively new way of doing things. Um, most boats then had what we would call a mechanical log, where the speed readout went straight to a dial, and you could just um, you could read the, the speed directly. So the boat, you might say, was high-tech, but I think we were guinea pigs, because a lot of the technology at that time probably was designed without a real understanding of what the marine environment and what the salt and sea air might, might do to them. Um, um, so that, these are the sorts of things we needed to find out. Um, she also had an automatic pilot that, that again was linked to the satellite navigation system, so my father could actually just set a course and the, the automatic pilot would, um, uh, would would steer it. So, um, but for day-to-day trips, we obviously didn't. Um, he certainly didn't need all those those particular gizmos and um, the sort of early navigation when you're inside of land is is done by um, taking bearings off various um, um, significant marks, head um, headlands and um, hills and that sort of thing, and then plotting your way on a chart and getting my father was quite skilled at that and that was one of the things he started teaching me um was how to how to do that um, kind of thing and fix your position from points on land which again found interesting and took my mind somewhat off the um the the seasickness so um so we were duly sort of pottering up the um up the coast of victoria and in new south wales there and um, stopping each day um and in some ports we met um, we would meet up with people we knew um, who were sort of aware of the trip we were planning, which was um, always a nice, uh, a nice break. Um, the weather was fairly consistent, um, as I recall. We certainly didn't encounter any sort of severe weather in that that particular um, particular leg. Um, and there was some quite coincidental meetings as well. We were sailing into one um, port on the New South Wales coast. Um, its name escapes me sadly um, but it has very high cliffs that you sail in between but on top of those cliffs is a golf course and by the time we'd come in and tied up the jetty two friends of my parents were standing there waving saying we were playing golf and by sheer coincidence recognised the boat and came down to see us um, further um, up in fact just before I think it was the last port before we made uh, Sydney a fairly poignant encounter with a boat as we were coming into um, this uh, harbour called Batemans Bay there was a, a boat setting out flags gaily flying from all its masts. Um and as we passed and waved at them they waved back and the captain called out gaily, Tahiti, here we come. So they finished the shakedown and were off doing their um their their, their passage and that, that's quite a long uh, a long trip to do. But we waved and wished them good luck and enviously um, thought, well we've got a, a few more weeks just um testing and learning as it were but sadly we heard um not long after about 3 days out just past New Zealand they were hit by a severe storm and the boat was did what was called a 360 or completely was completely turned over by waves and strips all the, the masts off they were all rescued but they lost the boat after barely a week at sea um which brings home some of the risks we um, we run and I'll probably touch upon those sort of things in a, in a subsequent episode um so we got to the Sydney, which was really the final sort of point where we were really um, in the harbour there, double-checking that the, the boat was, was fine, and we were all happy. We'd all got used to the idea of getting up early in the morning, raising anchor, sailing up to the next bay, coming in before it got dark, settling down, that sort of thing. So from Sydney, the plan was to strike out to New Caledonia, a French island out in the Pacific, about a 10, 14-day crossing. So Sydney was very much about provisioning the boat. So um, we got this out on our last boat, for um fresh food and all that sort of thing, um various um checks and, and so on and so forth. And um then um off off we, we set and so it was it was quite um quite a different feeling going out of Sydney Harbour um compared to Lake's entrance because it was just these day trips we were now setting out and landfall wasn't going to be for another um another two weeks. And uh, so far um all was going well. Um, Again, the the boat had a fairly traditional rig of uh, sails, mainsails and uh, headsail. Um, There was coming in at the time something they called self-furling or roller-furling headsails where you could roll a single sail that was permanently attached um, um, to the stay so you didn't have to leave the cockpit. But um, we had a traditional set of um, headsails so the varying sizes that you changed up and down to according to the wind. Because I think at that time we were a little bit concerned that the... um, it was an untried um, technology, and we wanted to keep it fairly simple. But by that stage, um, we were reasonably confident amongst us we could help my father in most conditions change. So the, the biggest head I think, was the, the number one. It was a big light um, head sole for light winds, and you changed all the way down to a storm gym, which was literally nothing more than a pocket handkerchief for when you were in a really bad storm, and you just needed a little bit of sail up to maintain some weight and uh, steering control. So we we got reasonably good at um, dropping the the headsail and um, unclipping it and clipping the the next one on. You know, the standing on the catamaran um, uh, bows, you've got uh, the safety net and a, um, a catwalk in the middle where the sail comes down, and two of you could stand there reasonably um, good seas and and change the sails and that sort of thing. Um, so we got. Good at that and we were quite um, competent at um, helping my father jibe the boat so when you change direction the boom swings across to take up the new direction of the wind and you have to let go the um, the various sheet ropes that hold the sails tight and as the sails fill you then winch them back in and so why well, again while well, my father could do that on his own it, it's certainly a lot easier if you've got someone like me on the on the headsail sheet winding that in and so one of my sisters on the mainsail um, uh, boom sheet and just um, tightening that up so it, it allowed my father to to concentrate on getting the boat um, pointing in the, into the wind the way he wanted. So our first cruise um, um, was, was off and we were looking forward to dining on various French cuisine and uh, in a couple of weeks' time, unfortunately, the, the gods being what they are, decided to oblige and said, ah, oh, shakedown cruise, you need to test all sorts of conditions. And so halfway into the Tasman Sea they threw an almighty gale at us and a sea like you, I'd never seen before. Um, it was um, very uncomfortable, and my sea sickness returned with a, an absolute vengeance. Um, possibly not helped by the initial configuration, uh, Dragonfly's um, diesel fuel tanks were in the stern uh, sleeping compartment, so just above my head was a big shelf where one of the big diesel tanks was, so there was always that slight lingering smell of, of diesel. And actually, just well, I had to climb over the, um, the port, uh, diesel engine housing to get into the bunk as well so it's that lingering smell of salty bilge water and diesel in your cabin when you're feeling slightly unwell it doesn't help the old sea legs um, so we were um, we was we were finding it increasingly harder and harder to go in the direction that we wanted to go the storm was was really um, um, showing its teeth and in the end we did something that's known as lying a hull where you basically reduce the sail to the bare minimum and um, just hold your position in t- into the prevailing wind and sea and just ride the storm out. In extreme cases, and we carried one of these things, these things, you can launch a sea anchor, which is an old parachute, and you deploy that, it fills with water uh, rather than air, and then just acts like a block of, of concrete, and you can use that to hold you um, in position, but you, that's a sort of a method of last resort. So we spent two, two and a half days lying a hole, i.e. going nowhere, being battered by wind and sea. And... Looking out of my little porthole, I could see these seabirds, they called them storm petrels, I think, and these little birds were gaily flying around in the middle of this storm, and they would flick the tops of the waves with one of their feet as they flew past, as if to poke fun at me in my misery and uh, discomfort, as if to say, hey, what's wrong with the storm? You should be enjoying yourself. Anyway, after um, two and a half days, um, the decision was taken to turn away and sail sort of with more with the, the prevailing weather and we headed for an australian island called law Howe island for for shelter um and so um and we stopped there for a few days so you might say my my first shakedown cruise i was left feeling i hadn't um really passed the test with flying colors being um, incapacitated with um quite severe seasickness to the extent um after a week at sea the the weight loss i was getting particularly bearing in mind i'm only about 13 at this age Giving my parents some cause for concern because I, I really wasn't eating and, and, and drinking enough, but um, so I, I, I realised there and then I had a um, um a bit of a um, um a learning curve to go to acclimatise um uh, and get my sea legs, but. Um, if I jump forward ahead now, one of the things I, I, I learnt in terms of getting my sea legs and avoiding sea sickness was being occupied uh, when we were at sea. And I found this out in a rather unusual way, I think. Um, we were sailing from um, New Caledonia to a um, a small island that was part of that group. Um, that we were just going to sort of visit and stay there for a week. And we were still within the main lagoon, but the wind... Um, was brisk and it was good sailing wind, it was exactly where the the boat wanted it. She was fairly flying along and we had a, a, the number one headsail up and the mainsail was, was full and the boat was fairly flying along at a, a good old speed. Um, but it got to the point where um, my father being prudent wanted to reduce the, the sails so it involved, he asked me to come and help him um, take the, the headsail off and clip the, the smaller number two headsail on which I wasn't feeling great, I was sort of sitting in the cockpit feeling green and... Uh, I think, with hindsight, he decided if he, if I if he could keep me busy, I'd be better. So I duly we had, the sea was such, and the boat was pitching quite a lot. This was you couldn't stand on the deck as easily as I made out earlier. This was one where we had to clip on harnesses, and and indeed I found that um, once we got up there, the the movement was such I found it easier to sort of lie on the catwalk with my father sort of crouching above me, and um, once my sisters had um, released that. Um, the halyard we were pulling the sail down and as my father pulled it down I unclipped it and sort of tried to sort of roll it up and I remember looking back and seeing probably about two-thirds of the hole out of the water at any one time as she was skipping along the waves um, which I thought was quite exciting at the time um, and then we duly we got thoroughly wet and soaked as we got this this sail down and then bagged up and it was dropped into the um, into the bow compartment where the sails were kept and we pulled out the other headsail. and put that on and I duly then trotted back and it was actually then I suddenly realized that we we're sailing along I didn't feel seasick anymore um, so um, it was a technique I had to perfect over the coming months as part of my shakedown of, uh, of learning when to recognize the motion was getting the better of me and and finding ways to keep myself occupied and um, as we sort of look over those um, these, these sort of next few months as we were sailing the boat various um, things started to reveal themselves we were Again, setting out to another Pacific Island, an atoll that's about 180 miles from our, the position we were in, in this, this anchorage. The kind of distance you can't do in a day and you don't want to do it such that you arrive at the atoll at night because the last thing any boat wants to do is try and cross the reef um, in darkness. So the trick is you set off actually um, early evening, sail overnight and arrive in the morning. And we were duly doing this and then there was this, this sort of hot electrical smell and uh, we realized that the um the SAT nav and the instruments connected to it had decided to short out. Um yeah, you know, easy enough to sort of um switch everything off. And that that was fine. But then we were there we were with um about to set out in the middle of the night to look for a um an atoll with no satellite navigation, no boat speed measure, um and none of the other sort of instruments that you might y you want to, to, to use now. You might say, well, common sense is you don't go, but in actual fact, again, I think the real success of our trip boiled down to my father was being an experienced, he'd been in the Royal Navy, he'd been brought up with boats with his parents, he could navigate and Dead Reckon, and he used to still use a sextant and take bearings, even with the sat-nav, it was a way of double-checking, so he thought, yeah, we can, it's 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 a trip I can do, I'm quite happy to Dead Reckon our way over there, and it's still a feat that amazes me to this day. He, using a sextant and star sights, and the occasional banana skin dropped off the the boat to time its speed through the water so we get a rough estimate of its speed he dead reckoned and found this atoll such that we actually arrived just a little bit earlier than we wanted it's still a little bit dark and so we were hung around outside um before sort of going in um in in daylight and so that is really the purpose of something like a shakedown cruise not only you know something might go wrong um there's a black humour amongst some sailing people that a shakedown cruise never ends. You're always finding things wrong, but the important thing is when they go wrong, you're able to react to them and, and fix them in the way my, my, my father could. And I, I still think that was a, an impressive feat of uh, navigation, which, to my mind, called um, called to mind some of the experience of the early sailors that um, were traversing the world without any kind of aid beyond things like sextants and telescopes and, and clocks and that sort of thing. Um, so we were pretty, um, pretty fortunate in that. Um, so the shakedown cruise for us really lasted until we came back into an Australian port um, about, after about six months. And there were things that we wanted to do and she went in for a refit. Um, one of the things my, my father had felt was that the original bow shape and stern could be um, modified slightly to make her the sort of pitching motion um, more damped down and so again with his own sort of sketching and a pad he, he re-sculpted and, and fiberglassed the shape and changed the shape of the bows and stern um, to make a more um, um not i'll say more seaworthy just to make a, a, a boat that was um, more um, comfortable to ride and i think we also had aluminium alloy diesel engines to reduce weight. Again, they were a fairly new thing. And they were good. They certainly did their, um, did what was after them. But we found that they were getting prone to vibration and that the brackets had uh, fractured under the vibration. So my father was then... We'd arrived at this port with the alternators that were... We need to charge electricity. We were driven off the diesel motors um, sitting in, in wooden brackets. And so they were replaced with steel ones um we'd found the vibration was caused by the propellers again we'd um, set out with what they call feathering propellers which when they're not being used the action of the water flattens the blades out so they create less drag Um, but what we'd found was that the actual blades would still vibrate and they sent the vibration up the propeller shaft to the constant velocity joint where it connected with the engine that vibration um, was then transmitted into the engine casing. And the the aluminum alloy didn't like that kind of vibration. And so we got these sort of um, cracks. Luckily, the main casing in the engine was perfectly intact. It also caused the um, um, constant velocity joint to spring a leak and a couple of times we um, had a prop shaft just drop out and water comes in which sounds quite dramatic um, but um, it's it's easily easily rectified um, but I think again we um, replaced the constant velocity joint with a conventional what there's a stuffing box which is a big grease sort of um, met, uh, metal box filled with grease and, and, and the engine and the propeller shaft are bolted on together it's a much firmer firmer seal so you you we I mean, these are sort of things that you, you discover, you try a particular innovation and see what works and what does doesn't work. Um, and uh, one again, one of the more interesting things that happened sailing across the Coral Sea on the way back to Australia for this refit, we suddenly found the steering being a little bit sluggish, and we looked over the side, and the port rudder had come uncoupled from the steering and 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 fallen out, if you like. But the weight of the wooden rudder, or should I say the buoyancy of the wooden rudder, meant it wouldn't drop all the way out. And you, and all it had been really was a. It's again, it sounds dramatic, and I'm perhaps o- over um, egging it, but. Um, um, the vibration again probably coming through the, the prop shafts had loosened one of the bolts and it meant stopping the boat and um, my father and I were putting a ladder and going over the side and pushing the, the, the rudder back up while my um, sisters were um, reattaching the nuts and um, bolts and all that sort of thing and it was quite weird because the middle of the coral sea. And I think the depths must be something, you know, a couple of thousand um, feet um, at least. So it's, I think it's probably one of the deepest oceans of, the um, d- deep, deepest bit of swimming I'm, I've done in a while. So again, these little um, mishaps and, and hiccups happen. And it was the way we, by that stage, we worked well together as a group, as a team. Um, and again, I think uh, a future episode I will um, touch on. Um, how we all sort of worked and uh, and lived together in in a confined space and and how you respond to the the the, the good times uh, and and the adversity. But hopefully, I've given you an impression of what the, the shakedown um, cruise is. Um, as I say, for boats that are bringing in different crews, they have to do a bit more in making the crews sort of work together. Um, for us, because we were a family, I think we were good at expressing. Um, discontent if you like um, um, early on so it never sort of built up to a head and as uh, you know considering the boat had been um, built by my my father in the in the front garden of his house its first trip out around the Pacific um, she did very well I mean the um, the various niggles that we we picked up were easily rectified and uh, when we left after the refit she had new um, wiring in for the, the, the sat-nav. We still kept that, but she had a, then a backup set of mechanical logs so that we had um, uh, plenty of backups there. But um, it was also, for me, um, a bit of a shakedown in discovering um, how to manage um, um, seasickness. So so there you have it. That's a sort of a, a whistle-stop commentary on uh, what you do when you shake down a boat. Thank you very much for listening.